Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Matthew 24, 3 through 14. I'm going to read it in the King James. It says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, Jesus, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And actually that word is uh, translated in other translations, age. So, uh, and the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because of iniquity, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come, the end of the age. So God has given us signs in the heavens and upon the earth as a wake-up call to signal us that his soon coming return is right around the corner, his second coming. And I know this is uncomfortable for a lot of people because they look at it like it's the end of the world. But it's really not the end of anything. It is the beginning. Amen. And uh, God wants us to be able to tell when we're getting close to the Lord's second coming. And so I want to show you some undeniable signs that indicate that the time before the Lord's return is closer than we think. Now, although this is considered to be in the New Testament, this uh, passage in, that we just read in Matthew 24, it is not New Testament scripture. It's still in the Old Testament. Jesus is in the Old Covenant. That's why he obeys the laws and he does everything that was written in the laws and given to Moses because it's still Old Covenant time. So we have to understand that he is talking to Jewish people and he's talking more about their future than he is about our future. Now, certainly there's always things that we can glean from these teachings because there's always usually a double application, you know, a spiritual application, a natural application, Old Testament application to New Testament application. But basically he is speaking to the Jewish people here. So uh, he's speaking of his second coming. And he told us in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Nobody knows the exact day and hour that Jesus is going to return. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians 
take this verse to mean that we should ignore any and all scripture that point to his second coming because he obviously doesn't want us to know or he wouldn't have said that no man knows the day or hour. But just because Jesus told us that, it doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to know the season. He wants us to know the season that we're in. He wants us to know when we're getting close to his second return. And, and if he didn't want us to know, he wouldn't have given us all the signs that he did, all the things that are pointing to his return. God told us that thir- certain things would happen right before the Lord's return. And it's becoming more and more obvious that the time of his coming is drawing nearer and nearer. Prophecy is being fulfilled every single day, and it's being fulfilled at a rapid pace, uh, faster than any time before this. And let me clarify the difference between the Lord's first and second coming. First of all, his second coming is not the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church, he'll meet us in the air, and he'll take us back to heaven. He'll never touch down on the earth, so we can't say that he returned. When he returns the second time, he will physically touch down on this earth. So when his first coming, he came almost incognito. He almost came as camouflage. He came quietly, laid back and humble, uh, no fanfare of any kind. He was born in a stable. You can't get any more humbler than that. His birth was only announced to a few lowly shepherds working the night shift in some obscure pasture on a Bethlehem hillside. And with his second coming, it's going to be quite different because then he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And the Bible says that he'll be riding on a white charger with the armies of heaven, you and I, riding right behind him, coming back to the earth to the battle of Armageddon. And he said this, every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Jesus Christ to the to the glory of the Lord God the Father. And for Christians, the signs of the time should be exciting for us. They should be motivating. They should motivate us to share the gospel and get as many souls saved as we can possibly get saved before he does return. Because once he returns, uh, or once we have the rapture of the church, the door closes for that period of time for the church age, and we can't get anybody else saved. Only, only people get saved are the ones that had seed left behind, that were thinking about it, that were half-hearted, they were lukewarm, one foot in, one foot out, or not at all. There'll be, there'll be a lot of people getting saved in the tribulation. There'll be a great revival during the tribulation, but we're not going to have a part in it. Our revival is now. Our place is now. This is our time. This is the church's time to shine. See, God wants us to know when we're getting close. When you go on a trip and you're not sure where you're going uh, and you want to know how close you are to your destination, what do you look for? Signs. Nashville, 100 miles. Nashville, 50 miles. Welcome to Nashville. It's nice to see a sign because you, you know, number one, that you're going in the right direction, and number two, how close you are. And that's the purpose of the signs that God gave us in the Bible. He wants us to know where we're going, and he wants us to know how close we are to getting there. Amen? Because when, when we arrive, we'll know it. Hallelujah. There'll be no denying it. But it helps to know when you're getting close. Amen? Amen. So before the Lord's second coming, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. But we're not going to be here for that. The church 
is going to be a rapture before that happens. God said that this will be the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of the Jews' trouble, not the church's trouble. This will be a time when the Jews, it's like, it's like a race, you know, uh, Adam handed off to Abraham, Abraham handed off to Jesus, Jesus handed off to the church, and now we're carrying the baton, and then we're going to hand off to Israel, and we're going to heaven. They're going to run the last leg of this race. Hallelujah. So, you know, there's, uh, uh, and I can't get into it today because it would take too much time, but God actually owes the Jewish people seven more years of old covenant times. Because their time was cut short for the church age. But they have seven years on their tally that he has to give back to them. And it's going to be old covenant time because they're going to have the temple. They're going to have priests. They're going to have sacrifices. They're going to do all the things that they did in the old covenant, in the Old Testament. And they're going to do that for seven years. Well, just about seven years, three and a half. And then the Antichrist is going to break his treaty with them. And all hell is going to break loose after that. So there's no signs that point to the rapture. The rapture is signless. But if we keep our eye on the second coming, all we got to do when that gets close is back up about seven years and we'll be, see how close we are to the rapture. Amen? Now Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 3, You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? He wants us to discern the signs of the time. You may not get the day and hour, but you can tell the season that you're in. And just like you can predict the weather by looking at signs in the sky and the way the wind is blowing and different things like that, we can predict the second coming of Christ in the same manner by watching the signs. And so in Matthew 24, 3, Jesus' disciples asked him, What shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the age, the church age. And, and, you know, everyone thinks that this is supposed to be a big secret. And like I said, we may not know the day or hour, but we can discern the signs of the times and we can tell what season we're in. And, and we can tell when we're close. So when the disciples asked Jesus for the signs of his coming, he didn't say nunya, did he? I don't know if everybody knows what nunya means, but... We tell our grandkids when we're having a conversation, and they say, what would you say? What was his name? And we say, Nunya. This is a ABC conversation, A, B, C, U later. And so Jesus didn't say Nunya. He didn't say none of your business. Why? Because it is our business. He wants us to know. And, and so uh, uh, he gave us some very specific signs. And I got to tell you, it concerns me a little bit that the church is not taking the Lord's return as seriously as they should. You know, it's like, ah, oh, we've been hearing this for years, you know. And, and, and Peter even said there'd be scoffers, you know, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. In other words, it's, nothing's changed. Well, what makes you think he's coming now? If you can't see the changes, if you can't discern the face of the sky, there's something wrong with you because all of these signs have been increasing and increasing and increasing. Yeah, we've always had upheavals of nature. We've always had hurricanes and earthquakes, but not at the capacity and the intensity that we're having them now. There's always been hunger, not like there is today. There's always been wars and rumors of wars, not like there is today. We need to wake up, open our eyes. 
Things are changing. It's, you know, uh, the reason it, it bothers me that the church isn't taking it seriously is because they're not going to be ready when he comes. We're not going to be ready. <coughs> Excuse me. In some sports, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. They have a two-minute mo- two warning right before the end of the game. Right before the game is over, they have a two-minute warning buzzer, and that tells you there's two minutes left in this game. And if you're behind in a couple points, you need a field goal to win or maybe a touchdown to win or another goal to win or whatever it takes, then you know that you got to do that within the next two minutes. So what do you do? You get really intense. You get really serious. You, you reach down inside and you pull out all the stops and you give it everything you have because you know in two minutes it's going to be over. And so that's the mentality that we want to have in the church. We need to get that two-minute warning mentality so that we know we're in the last two minutes of this thing. we got to step up our pace. we got to reach down. Yes, we're tired. Yes, we're, we're, we're uh, uh, weary of this stinking stuff that's going on, but it's all a distraction. He's trying to lull the church to sleep, and he's been doing a pretty good job about it. And we have to get this two-minute warning mentality, and we have to start getting things moving at an accelerated rate. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to share some signs with you that are either being fulfilled right now as we speak, or they have already been fulfilled. And then you can decide for yourself if there's a reason to step up the pace. It's increasingly obvious that the time of the rapture of the church and the Lord's return is drawing near. It's obvious. Prophecy is being fulfilled faster than it's ever been filled before. And Jesus told his disciples to look for the following signs prior to his second coming in the end of the age. And this is just a few of many. Just a few of many. And we can't spend a lot of time on each one, but just enough to understand a little. He said there'd be false prophets and false Christs. We read that in Matthew 24 in our opening scripture. He said in in verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will mislead a many. And then in Matthew 24, 11, he says, And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And that's what the devil is trying to do. He's trying to deceive the church. He's trying to mislead the church. He's trying to get us off off track so that we won't accomplish what needs to be accomplished in this last two minutes. And we have certainly seen this over the years. Many have claimed to be the Messiah in our lifetime, at least in mine. I know, I guess it was in the 70s or maybe late 60s, Jim Jones, David Koresh, just a couple examples, as well as countless others that weren't as newsworthy as those two. But they had a grip on the people. The people were willing to die for them. We can't get them to come to church. And these two jokers got them ready to die for them. They were, they were willing to drink the Kool-Aid. Don't tell me that this, these things don't have a grip on people. They do. And, and, then, and then we have many of the New Age groups. That's the big religion today. It's a, a religion of self. And uh, some of which are even working in and within the United Nations. And they're anxiously awaiting for the, anti, for the advent of the Antichrist. They're preparing a way for his acceptance as the head of the new world order and the new order of gods for this world. 
and, and, and the one who will usher in world peace. He's going to come disguised as a man of peace. That's why he's the first white horse in Revelation, the opening of the sixth seal. And they made him white because he's deceptive. They want him to think that he's the Messiah. But we can't be fooled. We know better. We know how Christ is coming back because he told us. And so he's going to deceive many into thinking that he's actually the Messiah. He's going to make a peace treaty with Israel. And uh, uh, the whole world is going to be at peace for a short time, three and a half years. And then he's going to break his covenant with Israel and all hell is going to break loose on the earth. They're waiting for him. And as soon as the church is raptured, as soon as the church, the hindering force that's keeping that evil at bay, that's keeping him from coming on the scene, as soon as they're taken out of here, then he's going to make his advent. He's going to appear on the earth. And then Jesus said in Matthew 24, 6, You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. And, you know, thanks to instant media coverage and the availability of multitudes of 24-hour news sources, we can stay well informed on what's going on all over the world. And, and uh, just keep your eye on the Middle East. That's the boiling pot of the world. Keep your eye on the Middle East, Russia, because Russia plays a big part in this end time. The next move is going to be Russia moving on Israel. And he's going to have some allies like China and, and uh, Iran. And uh, just look at the South China Sea and see what's going on there with the, the threats of Russian planes buzzing our ships and uh, Russian warships passing too closely to us. And, we're all, and this is all in international waters. They're provoking us. They're trying to start something. And let me tell you something. You don't want to poke Trump. Because you'd be poking the bear. He ain't afraid of Russia, China, Iran, or any of them. I think he's proven that to us. But I just want you to see how we're on the very verge of war. Even in our own country, we're on the verge of war. Wars and rumors of wars. Wars and threats of wars. And uh, they will rise mostly in the Middle East. More and more countries are working to develop weapons of mass destruction. Everybody wants a uh, nuclear weapon, North Korea, Iran, and other countries. And, and so the potential for the outbreak of war is greater than it's ever been before. And, and it exists in different nations and in places all across the world. And whether these nations realize it or not, they are actually fulfilling prophecy, and they are preparing for the Ezekiel, what we call the Ezekiel 38 and 39 wars. If you want to see what's going to happen, and one of the things that makes God God is he is the only one that wrote a book that predicts the future and predicts it completely accurately. The Turan don't uh, predict the future. None of the other religious writers can predict the future. But God says in Isaiah that that's how you'll know that I'm God because I'll predict the end from the beginning. And so as you look at these things coming to pass, you will see, now the, the nations have different names in Ezekiel 38 and 39, but their modern day names is Russia, China, Iran, and uh, Saudi Arabia, and all these other ones. And you'll see how they're coming together right now. They're forming alliances. Iran formed an alliance with Russia. Russia formed an alliance with China. They are coming back, and they're uh, actually fulfilling prophecy. They're doing what God told them they would do in the end times. He said there would be race wars. 
and famines and earthquakes and pestilence. He said in, in verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation. Well, why do you say that's race wars? Because that word that was translated nations in the Greek language was the word ethnos, where we get our word ethnic. And so it's talking about ethnic, ethnics will rise against eth, ethnics, ethnicity or whatever, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. In other words, ethnos, Arabs and Jews, blacks and whites, Italians and Irish. You can go down the line and name all kinds of uh, races that just don't get along, haven't got along in all of history. And, and in Africa, talk about famine, farmers are being driven out of their land by drug cartels who want to grow poppies to supply right now. Just out of Africa, 35% of the world's drugs are being produced in Africa at the sacrifice of good farmland that used to feed the people in Africa. Now they're starving and the drug cartel is prospering. The drugs are prospering. And so as a result, that famine has spread across Africa, but starving people are not limited to Africa. There's hunger all over the nation, all over our nation, all over the world. There's hunger all over, famine all over the world. It's happening right now. And then he said, pestilence. I shouldn't have to say anything about this, but I'm going to anyway. There's more contagious diseases today than they have names for. More than ever before. You know, and that's why I say the scoffers say, well, we've always had contagious diseases. Not like today. And, and I mean, we had AIDS, Ebola, E. coli, MERS, SARS. Too many flus to even name, Asian flu, swine flu, bird flu, this flu, that flu. And, and do I even have to mention COVID-19? There's strep throat, ringworm, salmonella, airborne disease, bloodborne disease, sexually transmitted diseases, surface transfer diseases. The devil has no shortage of ways to transmit diseases. Amen. Amen. Yes. And that's why we need to be careful. Not scared, careful. And the Lord said there'd be an increase in earthquakes in the end times. The number and intensity of earthquakes this century is at a level higher than any other time in history. We had more earthquakes in the last 10 or 15 years than we had since the beginning of time when they started recording them. More in that period of time. And it just keeps getting more intense and more intense. A staggering number of seismic events occur around the world every day. Every single day, somebody's having an earthquake. And as bad as all this is, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 8 and 9, but all these things are merely the beginning, the beginning of birth pains. And then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. Now, that's happening right now to a certain degree, but he was talking to the Jews. He was talking about the tribulation period. In the tribulation period, they're going to be the most hated people on the, on the face of the earth. And he said, it's just the beginning. And that's why, as a church, we need to wake up. Christians are under attack all over the world today. It's a rehearsal for what's going to happen in the tribulation period. In the United States, although we still enjoy more freedom than most countries, we are still under attack as a church. 
The church is under attack in this country. Pick up a newspaper and read something about California or New York, the, the, the east and west coast. I like to say the west and right coast. There's more discrimination, more ridicule and hatred in this country for Christians than ever before. The devil would like to do nothing better than to shut down the church in America because this country has produced more missionaries, evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles, sent them all over the world. He'd like to stop that flow. Amen. You know, during, uh, uh, and a matter of fact, in many other countries like China, Sudan, Africa, Saudi Arabia, North Korea, and, and a lot of the Muslim nations, Christians are suffering greater persecution than they've ever suffered before. They're even being killed for it. And that's going on in China, that's going on in North Korea and other Muslim nations. They're actually getting their heads cut off, getting killed over their faith. But during the tribulation, this suffering is going to be worldwide and it will continue even to the point of martyrdom. And these first five signs will increase in intensity and severity as we get closer to the second coming of Christ. And he described them as birth pains. It's the beginning of birth pains or contractions of a pregnant woman and how they worsen as the delivery comes closer. I never, I never had a baby, obviously. But I was with somebody that was squeezing my hand for 17 hours while she had one. And I know how it is. It starts out a pain here a pain there, and then they get more intense and they come closer together. And that's how Jesus is describing these end-time events. They're going to get more intense and they're going to come closer together until they finally bring forth everything that was prophesied and predicted. And he says the gospel will be preached throughout the world and then shall the end come. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom, kingdom of God, shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all nations and then the end shall come. And I personally believe that this prophecy has already been fulfilled. People are saying, oh, we can't go in the rapture yet because uh, the, the gospel hasn't been preached in all the nations. The gospel is available in every nation right now. This day, today, this morning, it's available in every nation. Uh, not too long ago, 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't possible. But now we have television, radio missionaries all over the world. The Bible's been translated into hundreds of different languages, and we have the Internet. Hallelujah for the Internet. People all over the world now hear the message of Christ from missionaries who have their own aircraft. I know we, that, you know, these poor guys take a lot of heat for buying an airplane, but I'm telling you what, that's the fastest way to get around the world preaching the Word of God and the fastest and best way to travel this globe of ours. And we, we have advanced technology that allows us to communi communicate with people on the other side of the world by phone, by radio, by Internet, by whatever, 5G and all this other stuff. And, and we can do it right from home. I mean, this broadcast is going out. It's available everywhere in the United States and other parts of the country. I know uh, last time I checked, we were... People were listening to us in 13 different states. I didn't see any foreign countries, but 13 different states. And all I'm doing is standing up here talking. But, you know, Raymond Bible College, our alma mater in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, right now has graduates 
apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and ministry helpers, all trained in, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. They're in 120 nations right now. There is not a place on this earth that the sun doesn't rise or set on a Rhema graduate. No place on earth. That's just one organization. And the Apostle Paul gave us two distinct characteristics of the end times that have already been filled. And we've been studying them for the last five weeks. He said there would be godlessness in the last days. I think we covered that pretty well uh, here in the last five weeks. Paul told us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read that passage every, day, every Sunday for the last five weeks. He said men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. I talked on every one of those points in the last five weeks, and we are there now. That's fulfilled now. And for anyone who's watched television, read a newspaper, lost their retirement, corporate greed and corruption, or just walked outside, walked outside their front door, it's obvious that this prophecy has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled by our generation. Many of our leaders are corrupt. Our cities are filled with crime and brutality and all proclaiming a sinful, godless nature, just like it was predicted. The New Age movement is bringing in increasing numbers of mystic who, mystics who claim to be the enlightened ones. And, and they are some of the most educated and influential people in the world. And yet they can't see the truth that's in God's word. Because the word is spiritually discerned. It doesn't take intelligence. God didn't design the word for intelligent people. It takes people that are spiritually discerning people that have been saved, people that have the Holy Ghost. And that's how the Bible is discerned. They can't discern it for that reason. So, I mean, Paul said there would be an apostasy, a falling away of the faith. We talked about that as well. That's going on right now. 1 Timothy 4, 1 says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits. What did Jesus say? Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. And these people are paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. In other words, we shouldn't pay any attention to them. You can't get misled and you can't get deceived if you're not paying attention to them. And by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron. They've been given over to a reprobate mind. It's a seared conscience. God can't even reach them anymore. And certain denominations today that were once enlightened, I'm talking about Christian denominations. I'm not talking about cults or uh, other religions. I'm talking about Christian denominations that were once enlightened and were preaching the truth are now embracing the New Age interfaith agenda and sidestepping the truth of God's word. They're saying that, God, that Jesus is not the only way to salvation. That there's other ways to salvation. And I'm going to tell you, when a well-known megachurch pastor who was asked on national TV if Jesus Christ was the only way to heaven, when he turns around and says, well, it's different for everyone, and it's not my job to judge them, 
If I mentioned his name, you would immediately know who it was. I'm telling you, that turned me off. I have no respect for that man. He just, he, he caved. He knows what the Bible said. He knows Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Amen. And yet he said, well, it's different for everybody. I'm not their judge. No, but you'll get judged. Because everyone that heard that and believed it and thinks they're safe in their sin, you're going to have their blood on their hands, on your hands. Amen. Ask me. Ask me if there's any other way. I'll tell you the truth. But here they're giving in to the politically correct media and a corrupt society. They have embraced the things that God calls sin. God specifically calls certain things sin. And they're embracing them and preaching a doctrine of tolerance and compromise. Yes. We have to tolerate their sin and we have to compromise in certain areas or we're, we're not going to get them in the church. I don't want them in the church if they don't repent. I'm just sending them to hell and they're going to sit here and listen to me preach while they're going? Uh-uh. There's a word in the Bible called repent, and that's what everybody needs to do. I had to do it. You had to do it. Before you can become a Christian, you need to repent. And you know that whole Bible got one word for the sinner, and that word is repent. And if you'll do that one word, then the whole Bible becomes yours. All the promises in it are yours. But not without repentance. We need to preach the truth or we're going to send people to hell that don't need to go there. Nobody needs to go there. And don't get me wrong. We're to be tolerant and acceptant of all peace people. And the proof of that is that God tolerates and accepts us. Amen. And we're no better. He tolerates and accepts us. So we should tolerate and accept all people. Black, white, brown, yellow, red, green, Asian, Italian, especially the Italians, German. All people we should be tolerant of and accept them. But we can't be tolerant and acceptant of their sin. We have to tell them sin is wrong and they have to repent and be forgiven. Get that sin under the blood. There's no other way to heaven. If there was, I'd tell you, but there isn't. The environmentalists, you got to love them. But that comes out of the New Age movement for luring people into the worship of Mother Earth. They believe in past lives, reincarnation, karma, and all at the same time they're criticizing those of us that are embracing the truth of God's word. Romans 1.25, Paul described them perfectly. He said, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Here's what I don't get. People will hug a tree, but they won't embrace the one that created it. They have made the tree greater than the creator who made the tree. Don't shout me down just because I started preaching good. That reminds me of an old song by Barbara Mandrell. I don't know if she wrote it or not. I remember her singing it, but I love that song. It was called, He Grew the Tree. Let me read the words of it. It says, He molded and built a small, lonely hill that he knew would be called Calvary. God did it. Then he made the seed that would grow to be thorns that would make his son bleed. 
God did it. Then he made a green stem, gave it leaves, and then gave it sunshine and rain and sheltered it with moss. God did it. And then the chorus, uh, not the chorus, I don't know what it's called, but then she sings, He grew the tree he knew would be used to make the old rugged cross. As a matter of fact, the, the uh, uh, cross is actually called a tree in Galatians. He said, Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. And he was actually talking about the cross. And then it says, With tears in his eyes, God looked down through time, saw him spat upon, rejected, and mocked. Still, he knew the tree would be used to make the old rugged cross. And he made it anyway. And this is the chorus, I think, now. It said, Nothing took his life with love he gave it. He was crucified on a tree that he created. With great love for man, God gave with his plan. He grew the tree so that we might go free. Still, he grew the tree he knew would be used to make the old rugged cross. That's the a, that's a gospel in a nutshell right there. But God is the one who created it. He created all things. Why would you worship the tree and ignore the one who created it? That's the part I don't get. That's just a small part of it. Loving Mother Earth. How about loving Father God? Amen. Amen. We're going to pray in a minute. I think that, I mean, it never hurts to pray for our country, but I believe that this is a special time and a special need for prayer for our country. So if you would, join me in prayer. Bow your heads and at least hook up in the spirit. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, you told us to come boldly before your throne of grace and receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. This is a time of need for our country. We need mercy and grace and help like never before. We come to you because you are the only one that can provide everything that we need. We're exhorted in your word to pray, intercede, supplicate, and to give thanks to, for all men and to those who are in authority so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and honesty. So we pray for the leaders of our nation and for their families. We lift up President Donald Trump, our Vice President Mike Pence, every member of Congress, every member of the House, the Supreme Court, the President's Cabinet. I pray for the governors and the uh, police chiefs and the mayors and the fire chiefs, everybody that's in a position of authority, we lift them up and pray for them. Not only them, but all the families and all the loved ones that are attached to them, Lord. We thank you that you will protect them and keep them. We pray that they will be able to hear your voice and that divine wisdom and grace will be given unto all of them. We pray that direction will be given to them from heaven. We pray that all of our leaders will be surrounded by godly men and women of influence that can hear your voice and then translate it to our leaders. We pray that they will be healed, whole, and of sound mind. We pray for their protection and their families, that they will be encamped round about by ministering spirits and ministers of fire, guardian angels, that no evil will befall them, neither shall any plague come nigh their dwelling. But you'll give your angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways. We especially pray for those leaders that are deceived and consider you and all of us that follow you their enemies. We pray that the blinders be lifted from their eyes and the glorious light of the gospel, the truth, be revealed to them.
that they realize their need for a Savior, and they recognize that Savior to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask you to uproot, pull up, and expose all those that wish harm to our country and our republic and the American way of life. We ask that you dispel the darkness that would overshadow our nation and its leaders in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, we pray that our elected and appointed officials would not be so concerned about politics, partisanship, bipartisanship, but that they'll not be so party conscious, but that they'll be concerned about our nation and the well-being of every person in this nation, regardless of race, color, or creed. They'll be concerned of all of them, and they will come together in unity, and above all, they will put God first, that they will adhere to and be guided by your holy written word, the Holy Spirit, and the Constitution of the United States of and, Lord, we pray for the financial well-being of our nation. We pray for our economy. We pray that the economy will continue to grow and recover and that the unemployed will be able to return to work and be prosperous once again as a whole, as a nation, so that we may be able to continue to carry the gospel to every nation of the world. And, Lord, we pray that peace, tranquility, and unity be restored in our land, that, and may there be understanding throughout our land that with and within all its borders and territories that we ask you to pull down every stronghold that would hinder the electoral process in our country, that you would expose every scheme to do that. And we boldly proclaim that you, your will will be accomplished. And Lord, we pray that you will turn this nation in the right direction through the leaders that you have chosen and ordained and make America great. Whether it was great again, or whether it was great and it needs to be great again, now is not the argument, Lord. We just want you to make it great by your definition of greatness. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, everyone. And Father, we pray for a great revival to take place in every believer first, every church, every Christ-centered church and organization in America. And we pray for a great awakening to sweep our country like never before. That's what this country needs is a great awakening. That's what this country needs is the Lord Jesus Christ and a move of God. And we pray that you dispel the darkness that has encompassed this land. And we declare that the glorious light of the gospel will shine across our country like it's never shown before. And people of all race, color, and ethnic backgrounds will see that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we thank you that we'll be able to set aside our differences and that the love of God will be shed abroad in every heart and that we will come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that this nation will become once again a God-fearing nation that will recognize you as our leader first and God in Jesus' mighty name. You told us in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then you, then will you hear from heaven and will forgive our sin and heal our land. Lord, this is our prayer, that you would heal our land. Heal our land, Lord. We humble ourselves before us, before you. We seek your face. We seek your guidance. We seek you. We turn from our wicked ways as a church first because judgment begins in the house of the Lord. 
So we thank you and we praise you. God, we believe we prayed according to your word. And you said if we pray according to your word, you hear us. And you said if we know that you hear us, we know that we'll have the petitions that we desired of you. So we believe that word this morning, Lord. We thank you for it, praise you for it. Look forward to change and great and mighty things that happen in our country and our nation today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. We appreciate you. Facebook family, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, tune in again on Wednesday, and we'll see you then. God bless. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.